Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief of HW Media, and on this episode of Housing Wire Daily, I'll be talking to senior reporter Bill Conroy about a data breach at the nation's fifth largest servicer and the fallout that company is dealing with. There are already a dozen lawsuits against Lakeview Loan Servicing for that breach, and more might be coming. We're also going to dive into the loan products that are popular in this purchase market, including non-QM loans and adjustable rate mortgages, which have made a huge comeback. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, glad to be here. Great to have you. Yeah, I enjoy these. So Okay, well, you have some great reporting that I want to talk about. So um, one of your most recent one was that Lakeview Loan Servicing is now facing a bunch of lawsuits after a big data breach that they had. And I know that this is you know, something that people in our industry worry about all the time. We know that financial companies are the target always of just massive amounts of uh, cyber attacks. So can you tell us a little bit about Lakeview Loan Servicing, what, what they're facing right now? Yeah, they, they had a, um, and again, uh, it's not clear who did it at this point. At least I wasn't able to discover that or if they have an idea. But um, their, you know, uh, computers or I guess their data got got breached. Um, like two and a half million customers were affected by it for the loan servicing side. Um, and it was a, it was a, like one of the major ones where they get, you know, social security numbers, which are kind of the worst thing they have leaked or Put into the dark web, and so uh, what's happened in the past with, with these major data breaches, the company's being victimized by it. Obviously, they they didn't want it to happen, but it often does lead to these lawsuits, often class action lawsuits, um, and that's kind of what happened in this case. Is individual uh, lawyers working, you know, for people that were affected by this, started filing lawsuits in federal court. Um, and it got up to about a dozen of them and the, the judge ordered and most, and many of them were filed in, in Florida, even though they involved residents in other States, it's just the nature of the uh, federal courts. You can, you can, where you can file them as a diversity of citizenship issue, or there's various questions they go through as to where they're supposed to be, but they ended up getting consolidated, um, 11 of them anyway, in U S district court in Miami. Um, and there's a, a 12th one that's pending in South Carolina that they're trying to get consolidated there. That That's still up in the air. And as new ones come in, in fact, when I was reporting the story, too, there was a motion filed. Two additional cases came in that you know brought it up to the total of 12. Um, and that and and that. That will go on for a while now, right? That those that litigation takes a while to unwind. It could be a year or two before there's a resolution. But some of the judgments in those cases, settlements in those cases, get into pretty high figures. Like the ones I mentioned in the story range from 120 million to 700 million, and that that includes you know the credit monitoring after insurance, uh, you know the provision, the actual settlement itself to the class members. So it's not clear how this will turn out for Lakeview, but I'm, I'm sure it's something they they got to deal with now going forward. And it's really something that anybody in the business that's that's seeing more and more of their information in the form of uh, being digitized, essentially working in the digital world or across the web, 
Um, it, it's it, it's amazing how big this this cybercrime stuff is. Uh, I was at an NBA conference a couple of weeks back, and they had a panel on it. And one of the members actually used to work in a pretty high level at the NSA. Um, so, and then she's with a private sector company now that deals with cybersecurity. And she pointed out that if you measured up the cost of cybercrime globally, which is like six trillion this year, and it's growing, it's supposed to be like ten and a half trillion in in, in by two twenty five. It would be the third largest country in the world behind uh, the U.S. and China in terms of the, the economies. So it's like it's like a big problem. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize it. I, I knew it was an issue, but I didn't realize that that's the, and of course, that's based on their estimates and projections. And it includes things like, you know, when they hold you hostage, you want a you know, ransom paid to get your data back. And that's, that's actually happened to me twice at two companies where their servers got attacked and they did that. They, they, they destroy your data unless, and if, even if you pay them. So you basically have to go out and get a brand new server and hope you have a tape backup or a backup of the data, usually lose a little bit of it. But it it is pretty darn common. It just happens as simple as clicking on an email, right, that you shouldn't click on. Um, that's why we get these notices all the time. That's true. And they usually target, they said, ironically, it's not someone like, you know, low down in the food chain. They, they When they're fishing to get these, these, they go after like a CEO or an executive at someone at a higher level where they can get more information out of, out of their email trails when they break into them. Um, and, you know, that's exactly what happened with the, the hack of the Democratic um, Party back a couple of years back where they went after some higher level players and got into their email chains. So it's something that I think people have to be more conscious about, um, you know, as individuals, but also as, as large companies. And loan servicers, uh, according to someone on this panel, they are like a target-rich environment. They are definitely, uh, they definitely got to be on guard because they have all this information because they're servicing, you know, loans. So they have bank account information, they have social security numbers, they have you know all the, all the data that that and, and then they break down how much this sells for in the dark web. I mean, and they go out and they sell it, and they can use it in various ways to do more mischief to your life or to the company's life. Irrespective of that, when it's, it happens to a big company, they end up being targeted by the people whose data was compromised in, in litigation because there's you know harm done, and the way laws work, there's somebody liable for it. And a lot of times, because of the way the con, you know when, when they take on this data you, you know you're you're being assured that they'll protect your privacy and that basically creates a liability for these companies and that's what lakeview is facing right now and they, they probably won't be the last one unfortunately it also seems like some of the class action and and where they felt like the negligence came in or the people uh filing these lawsuits is in the timeliness of how they responded or the timeliness of how they you know revealed that this happened was that part of this well, it was mentioned in all the litigation that I think the the hack of their systems occurred, you know, in, in October and early December. It was over like a month, month and a half period. They didn't discover it really um, until the end of December, um, beginning, you know, and then in January is really officially they put an investigative team on to figure out what happened, how extensive it was. So they knew by January, end of January, I think in the lawsuit it said, but they didn't let you know, send out letters and let uh, the people affected know until mid-March. So that'll probably be a factor as to how much damage was done in that period where no one knew and could have been doing something about it. But I think also the bigger factor is just that um, 
the data was leaked and the social security numbers are really a big issue. Um, and a, they're hard to change and they're, they can do a lot of damage if, if they're in the wrong hands in terms of people, you know, breaking into your accounts and causing, you know, causing various damage. Um, so that's really just the liability is how much harm was done to the, the individuals whose data was compromised. Um, and you multiply that across two and a half million people, you can see why there's a lot of lawyers chasing this because it's a huge class. It's huge. Yeah. And, you know, we know we, you and I were talking before the podcast yesterday, actually, when we were talking about the story that, you know, some of the risk that lenders or servicers, anybody in the financial space faces is from their third parties. And we saw that, um, with one of the hacks a couple of years ago, that's like, it's not just, you know, the cyber criminals are smart. They're coming in through some of maybe the, a smaller uh, solution provider or a vendor on uh, of any sort. And so, you know, you think about the dozens or hundreds of vendors that are third party, you know, third parties that different financial companies rely on. Every single one of those is a risk. Yeah, no, and that's absolutely true. Actually, that was pointed out at the MBA conference too. That you know they brought up one example without mentioning a name. That the board of directors was was shocked that they were responsible for a data leak through a third party because it wasn't their fault. But you know, it's their data. They're even if they use subcontract something out, they're still responsible. Have responsibility, liability for that data. Um, so yeah, they have to be on, I think the best advice it seems is to make sure you're on top of it in the front end, because trying to clean it up on the back end is a nightmare. You know, once it, once a problem occurs, but you know, I, I, I they also point out that the, the reality is you're not dealing with, you know, you are to an extent that in some of these cases did involve employ inside employees or Otherwise, you know, people that had access to the computer systems that knew how to, you know, like worked for a cloud company and knew how to do this. But it's just as frequent now or more frequent, actually, that it's organized crime um, and or, you know, nation state backed actors. You know, it was pointed out that we've really been in a low level cyber war now for years um, with with, you know, with political enemies that that are very good at causing mischief within our Digital uh, ecosystem, they said. Um, I mean, right now, everything is almost all digital. Even in the loan servicing world, uh, one of the stats to prove that pointed out is that like only 8% of customers of, of one of the larger uh, loan servicers get paper statements anymore. So that means 92% is digital. That That's where the game is now. And these, these you know, if you imagine a, a nation state, and they did, they did specifically, you know, talk about Russia. I guess that's primarily because you know it's in the headlines with what's happening but you know they're they're very sophisticated anyway i'm a, i stay away from ukraine cuz that's that's such a, a nightmare but the point is they 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 have fingers outside of ukraine that they can use and usually they said you know what are they going after came up what do they really want and right now it seems the money right they go because they can make money off of doing this and those the coffers of the people that are involved and to be used for other means, but they do have the ability to cause even more mischief in probably preventing that is the fact that we can do the same, but you got to, if you're dealing with very sophisticated actors, you got to have a very sophisticated defense. So I think that's another cost center, but I, you know, it's, I think it's a better investment. It seems up front to make sure you've got your data protected and, you know, all the liability issues covered in the event uh, of a breach. 
Because, you know, when I look at it now, it's like, is there an American out there who hasn't had some of their data compromised when you look at all the huge breaches that have occurred over the last 10 years? I mean, if you shop at Target, if you shop at Home Depot, if you have a loan anywhere, I mean, it's almost certain that all of us or most of us have some of our data floating around on the dark web. So we, this, this is the new reality we live in. It really is. I think um, one of the interesting things to me is that we've been covering this for years. I sent you something I wrote back in 2016, you know, when we were being warned about this. But I think what's what hasn't changed is there is not still a lot you can do. And, you know, at that time, people were like, oh, you know, report it to the police or whatever. And now it's like, well, report it to the FBI. But to your point, if this happens to you, you just don't have a lot of recourse. I mean, good luck. I mean, the the insurance is a, is a good idea. They can they can sometimes you know, you know, help you make coal or do something like that. But you know, when you think about that, this is sort of a a, a cyber war being waged by some nation states. It feels like you know, individual companies are kind of on their own. Yeah, I mean, that's what I walked away after hearing the panel. I mean, sure, you can hire firms to help you that know this stuff, and you know, you can do your best. But you're, it's a, it's just a, a, a risk that's out there that that's a, a, a tough one to overcome completely, uh, given the state of the world. You know, in this case, you know, we don't know who broke into Lakeview's um, servers and got this information. Um, you know, it, it, other if it was a nation state actor, the fingerprints probably are going to be very hard to find. But it could have been an inside job as well. That's that happens, and it's happened in in prior cases um, with big data breaches as, as well. And those folks usually get caught. It may take six months or a year, but most of them get caught. Um, then maybe that's a good outcome because then you maybe get some of the data back or maybe not because <laughs> it's already sold or gone. And, um, you know, they, they actually, it's to the point where these lawsuits quoted prices on the dark web that, that, you know, what you can, it's in the story, what you can get for a bank account, a whole file or individual pieces of information. So one of the things that the state actors will use it for is to get in and create false social media accounts and so forth to cause havoc in a political environment. But, you know, the, uh, those after money will use it to, you know, steal your identity, break into your bank accounts, um, you know, and particularly if, you, if you're an older person who's never not really familiar with how the Internet works and so forth, you're really vulnerable. You got to be really careful. I think those are the ones that get preyed on the most. Yeah, you really do. And, you know, last year we saw it. So, so there's this kind of attack where they're stealing information, right? Um, there's also the ransomware, which you, you talked about, which mm -hmm. we saw a big rise of that last year, especially um, we had a big hack in the title industry. Um, it was actually the the cloud provider for a lot of title companies. A ransomware, it shut them down for months. It was just really unfortunate. And and again, there's just not a lot you can do. I know that the, I think it was the Department of Homeland Security uh, launched a site, Stop Ransomware, um, so, you know, that's great. But again, it's, it's, it's a lot of tips of here's how to avoid it. Um, there's not a lot of help after the fact that I, that I can find. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one. And that's, you know, I think the the best, the best thing is just to be aware. I mean, one thing that helps is to be aware of it and, and, you know, you have to be very careful about the links you click on when you get your email. It's hard for everyone because you get tired, you got a thousand emails you're going through and, you know, all of a sudden, boom, you know, you've, open that Pandora's box, but it, it just, you know, I think the front end is, is where the, where you got to 
place your emphasis so you, you don't end up in a situation like where you're getting ransomware and your servers are messed up and, and you shut your company down or worse. Or worse. Yeah. So, you know, you have um, a couple other stories this week that I really wanted to talk about. And that was really like, they're reflective of where the market's heading, right? Where their origination market is heading, which we all know volumes, you know, dropped off a cliff compared to the last two years. I'm not sure it's dropped off a cliff historically, but just, you know, compared to the refi boom, we're, we're seeing a lot of volume changes and that has spurred interest in a couple of things. We're seeing arms, the the interest in adjustable rate mortgages going up because, you know, as, as interest rates, rates rise, one of the ways you can get into a house or, or our industry can help you get into a house is giving you an adjustable rate mortgage that, you know, once these, once this inflationary period calms down a little bit, you might be able to um, either refi or, or, you know, it's just a different uh, setup. And then also the PLS market. So I'd love to talk about both of those stories. Let's go with arms first. Yeah, I mean that is uh, again this this one uh, was a panel on non QM and uh, at the MBA uh, convention and they had assembled you know uh, lenders non QM lenders and whole loan trader and so forth and they were talking about the trends they were seeing and arms are definitely up right and they expect them to be, become more popular. Um, I mean one one MaxX puts they're a, a loan aggregator kind of an elect digital loan aggregator, one of the bigger ones, it puts out a report every month. And then their May report on their exchange, they said that ARMS it made up 23% of the volume in April. Basically, there are, most of them were 10-6 ARMS. And, and I got to get up to speed again on ARMS because it's been so long, but you know how they work. But exactly, there's a certain fixed period, and then there's a period where the, the interest rate floats again. So Based, and they also said that the arms that were trading through the exchange were like 70, on average, 75 basis points lower compared to the 30 year fixed rate. So you're, you're going to get a, you know, a better interest rate. And they pointed out that, you know, how long are you going to stay in your home, especially for young home buyers? And they, you know, there's some jokes about that. We have more confidence in you. You can, you know, you will, you will move up from that starter home. So do you need, you know, and they, they also mentioned that there, you know, maybe wasn't too much 30 year fixed rate paper out there, you know, in the market that this will actually be good to get, get some more arms in the market. Who knows? Um, but that is definitely happened. Even the Mortgage Bankers Association survey showed that uh, arms were up 9% in April and double what they were three months earlier. So they're clearly, you know, a way to get into a house for for, for a lot of people right now, uh, given where home prices are and where interest rates are, are and headed. So, yeah, that, I don't know what else to say about that, except that was seemed to be a consensus view, as well as that kind of swings into the other story a little bit. But yeah, the, the purchase mortgage market is is where the game is now. And who's going to, you know, wh- what kind of loans are going to come out of that? And, and clearly that panel members se- seem to see non-QM as a kind of a, the rising star in that, that equation in and, and the prime market might have a little tougher time th- this year refinances are gone and you know it's just just the nature of the game there's still going to be a lot of prime mortgages but i think the non-qm which is really you know near prime non-prime and uh you know uh some of the investment now bill don't say subprime you know that 
that we, we don't call it subprime anymore. And really, the uh, most of these aren't subprime. No, but I didn't. You heard what I said, I hope. I, mean, I did. I was teasing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> you're right. Because, you know, it, it's a little bit of a naming convention, but, you know, subprime really implies, you know, out of line, right? Completely out of line should have never been made nowadays. Back then, no, subprime was a not a dirty word. So, you know, definitions change in, in, in marketing and branding changes. But really what we're talking about here are, you know, um, still good loans and, and maybe loans that should have been made in higher volume during the refi boom, but people were too busy to, to deal with, right? You didn't have enough. These take a lot more underwriting time, the, the, the um, non-prime or non-QM, um, you know, uh, and that was actually brought up on the panel. It said, you know, loan officers aren't stupid. They're, they can do six, you know, streamlined refi loans, uh, versus, you know, one uh, non-QM that takes three days, you know, to underwrite, they're, they're going to go with the, with the faster, easier money. I mean, that's human nature and it made sense. That's why we had such a boom. Now, you know, and we also have the possibility down the road, you know, and, and we see this when in a purchase cycle where rates fluctuate after they, they hit their peak and maybe they, they drop enough, we get these little mini refi booms. So, you know, that, that we don't know when that'll happen, but you know, into next year, it's possible there'll be, but, but those are not going to be like what we had, right? This extended period of, of refis that we had, it, it really boosted the market. But there is a lot of loans to be made out there, they said, and the purchase cycle and it's going to be the right lenders that, that make the right choices that they corner that market. Um, and so with the, with the other report, I guess, you know, kind of surprises me. Uh, it's a projection, of course, but First quarter, when we're looking at the, the the PLS market, which is the private label market, as opposed to the you know GSE agency market, had one of their best quarters um, ever since the the last financial crisis, second best ever in the first quarter. A lot of that driven by loans that were made last year, so it's going to be declining. You know, the projection is it's going to be declining a little bit every quarter going forward, but we're still going to have a record year in the um, PLS market in terms of securitizations uh, and, and, tr and transactions or, or offerings um, and in going forward. But it, it's going to be swinging to the non-QM side, to the investment property side, which is really a subsector of that. And some of the what they call more esoteric type uh, issues, which which I'm seeing, like there's EBO, which is the early buyout uh, loans that that some of those are being securitized, and you've got reverse mortgages. They're they're, they're saying uh, home equity uh, type, uh, you know, lines of credit type securitizations, uh, and uh, you know things that that we really that were one offs, maybe you know over at least over the last year that will become more popular now. I'm looking at one story where it's their third EBO securitization, you know, an early buyout means that when a loan kind of goes to non-performing a certain period, uh, servicers can buy them out. And if they can get them to re-perform for, I think it's six months, they can then place them back into a Gini secured pool, which is, you know, kind of the, the workout for it. And, and uh, you know, once they buy them out of the pool, then they don't have to keep advancing um, all the servicing for the bond, you know, for the Ginny Mason security. So a little complicated market, you know, but basically uh, it's, 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 there's enough there that they can, and enough volume there that they can securitize these loans. Um, and there's, there's an appetite for them. Also, um, you know, we have at the same time, you know, the, the Fed winding down and 
you know, its MBS portfolio, which is creating more supply in the market. So, um, you know, we, we have these factors going on where, and that's mentioned in the story where the, the spreads are still kind of wide, which just means um, the lenders that are securitizing or whoever the parties that are securitizing probably have to take more of a haircut on, you know, uh, what they can, what they can sell the bonds for versus their costs until some of that gets a little better control. But I, but they are predicting that as the higher rate um, loans come through the pipeline for securitization, because we're still up through the first quarter clearing 3% less loans right from last year. Now we're getting up into the fours and fives that that'll help the market actually, because it'll be, uh, the spreads will be better and the execution will be better. And, and, and but it's still going to swing heavily, heavily toward purchase loans and the, the, the report I'm referring to is, you know, Crow Bond Rating Agency does a forecast in the market, and they include only prime, non-prime, and uh, credit risk transfer deals. So it's not it's, it's that slice, which is the big slice of the market. Um, so that's where we're at. So we're, we are <clears throat> we're not falling off a cliff, but we are uh, kind of switching engines, if you will. <laughs> so you know, the car's getting a new engine and it's going to perform a little differently than it is. Well, and, you know, to your point about, you know, uh, a rising rate environment is, is you know, challenging for some parts of the industry, but not challenging for others, right? That That's where some of some of our industry makes their right. money. So yeah. um, I think that's that's interesting to yeah. think about, too. Think, yes, you have less people. I think that's but, absolutely true. And, you know, the best I can see is it's harder on the agency market or at least agency lenders that we're used to, you know, uh, making, you know, uh, making on high volume and it's going to be better for the kind of non-QM, the, the the kind of people that were focused on these purchase loans that were a little harder to make to begin with because there's, there's going to, there, just because of where the environment is, there's going to be more demand. More of us fall into the camp <laughs> of, you know, trying to figure out how we, you know, with rates up and with with housing prices up and incomes, you know, who knows if we're headed into a you know, a recession. I think that's the the thing that that's the thing nobody knows a hundred percent. But we we did see GDP uh, at negative growth in Q one and Q two. It looks like it's going to slide in around two under two percent. But you know, the definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of um, negative growth and. You know that's where I think everybody is trying to figure out uh, what 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 happens to the economy if we do slide that way, or if we manage to break through and and, and start growing again, and not and the recession worries go away. I think that's where we're at, and um, it's that unknown gray period, and and you know the forecasts could change tomorrow because of it. It does seem pretty certain that we're going to be in a purchase cycle for a while, and it seems certain that. Um, people that can figure out how to make loans in a purchase environment, especially the tougher loans, are going to do better. I think it's also important to remember that, like, um, a recession doesn't mean a housing recession. Right. It's not always, um, you know, it's not always something that we have to feel like, oh my gosh, it's 2008 all over the, again. Well, which, you know, I, I understand that people have huge PTSD from that, but it's, yeah. you know, we could have a recession. We had a recession with COVID it lasted six weeks. So it doesn't have to be like this right. prolonged, terrible thing. Yeah. The other thing though, too, is what we, we got to realize the stress that the housing market is under now, the, the, the Fed's monetary policy, which is primarily raising the interest rates, but also, you know, slacking back on MBS, uh, well, completely no more purchases, but letting it roll off the balance sheet and speculation, they might even sell some. All that falls disproportionately 
on the housing industry. And that was said by economists at the MBA convention too. So some of what we're experiencing is uh, the, the, you know, the blowback or the effect from the Fed's policy, which, you know, it will wind out. And the, the prediction was by early next year when the Fed, uh, this was a Morgan Stanley economist, when the Fed, the, the benchmark rate gets, I think it was slightly above 3% or 3.25. So they're figuring a couple more 50 basis point rate increases, unfortunately, and then back to 0.25 until it reaches that point. And that's sometime early next year. Once Once we get through this tightening, which disproportionately does hit the housing market. I mean, it really, and you can see it, the housing market is is slowing down because of it. Um, but the, after that, we get to a more normalized environment, you know, all bets are off. And especially if we do manage to avoid a recession. And you're right, a recession, who knows, it can be regional, it, it can be sector-based, it can be nationwide. It's 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 just, you know, usually people feel the recession after it's over, right? Two, two consecutive quarters of negative growth, you may not even realize it. And then it's three or four months later where you say, oh, no, that, that you know, something happened as a consequence of that that you got to deal with. And the housing market is very solid. There's not a lot of prospect yeah, that we're going to have what we had back in, you know, 15 years ago when, uh, you know, prices were just way off, you know, were overvalued. And, uh, you know, we had made so many bad toxic loans, if you will, that had gotten into the system. And, you know, it took a while to unwind all that. We're, we're, we're nowhere, we're, right now, housing prices and underwriting are solid. You know, I don't think there's any, I don't see, you know, somebody could... That's smarter than me. Maybe see something I don't, but I don't see the ability of toxic assets floating through the system. I think these, the, the you know, the, the fixes that were put in, as as hard as they were, seem to be holding right. So that it's going to be more a factor of how the people, how the economy does with people having jobs and incomes right. and purchase power. It's not a, it's not the not a uh, an issue of the housing market itself. Agreed, a hundred percent. I know you were at that cocktails with Logan that we did in uh, New York last week. Uh, maybe by this time this comes out, yeah. like ten days ago, whatever. And and it it is a, a wholly different thing. It's not things are slowing down. We are you know there are definitely recession red flags coming, but housing. In the there's, end, it's going to be yeah, okay. It's not going to crash because right. There's a know. lot of demand. There's a shortage of supply. There's a lot of demand because we've got a huge generation of home buyers, you know, coming into the system now. Um, if anything, it's going to be figuring out how to get, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of competition for not enough housing. That isn't a recession in the housing market. That That's going to be those who hustle and figure out how to right. <laughs> make loans in that environment are going to do well. But, you know, it's it's still right now, the housing market, I think, is feeling the, the kind of the volatility is the bigger issue if that makes sense than than you know any kind of recession or or underlying economic issue it, it's predicting it's uncertainty and volatility and and that's been really tough on the housing market in the last you know since the Fed started this, and it ain't gonna last forever. The Fed will have to back off if it gets too bad. They'll back off, and by early next year, they should be through the cycle. You know, everybody needs, you know, we do need to beat back inflation. Everyone agrees with that, and that's what this is all targeted at. 
Yeah, well, we are headed into, we're sliding into a long weekend, the Memorial Day weekend. That's exciting. So I just want to encourage all of our listeners to, uh, Bill has some, we, we, we hit the highlights, but he has some deep dives on these topics. Um, really great reporting. Um, and I encourage everyone to check it out. And we will get back at it at work uh, next week, too. And can I say one thing quick? Anyone listening to me? When I'm talking, I don't have time to attribute everything, but this is not my mind. I'm not this smart. I do the reporting, and I've talked to a lot of smart people and listened to a lot of smart people, and I try to get what they're saying so I can report it back to folks. So this, this is just so you understand where this is coming from. I appreciate that. No, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, we're, I always interview our editors and reporters on here and, you know, none of us are economists, none of us are, are mortgage loan officers. Um, but we are we are listening to and talking to people constantly, and uh, I appreciate that word about uh, attribution. But you know, at the same time, you do talk to a lot of people, so you're you're getting a, a bird's eye view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More 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 than I more than I some I, I put it this way. It keeps my job interesting because. <laughs> It's a, it's a very complicated market and it moves very fast. And if someone wants to reach out to you, Bill, if they want to be one of these sources, how do they get in touch with you? Um, email's great. Um, uh, you know, just wconroy uh, at housingware.com will, will get to me. That's probably the quickest way nowadays. Digital, right? <laughs> that's a good way. No, that's great. Well, um, I hope you have a, a great long weekend. I hope our audience does. And we will get back at work uh, next week at covering more news. Thanks so much, Bill. Yeah, fun as usual. Thank you. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.